You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome everybody, happy Friday to you. You are listening to Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, we've got a lot to get into in the time to break down. Barry and Chris Sale going against each other. We had Rich Hill and Robbie Ray going against each other. And uh, that resulted in four pretty awesome pitching performances. Uh, take a look at some pitchers who also had really good Thursday uh, performances and uh, not ones that you necessarily new to expect uh so those are the interesting ones obviously for fantasy purposes so we'll be getting to those several uh four hit performances not a huge day for power yesterday but uh oddly enough a bunch of hitters getting four hits uh, that are all worth breaking down to a greater or lesser extent but let's start off with the news uh, part of yesterday's action, Xander Bogarts got hit by a Jacob Feria pitch, and his right hand looked very bad. He seemed to be in a great deal of pain, but fortunately, uh, the x-rays turned out to be negative for Bogarts. He's got a bruise on that right hand, uh, obviously much, much better than probably uh, the outcomes that we were uh, expecting there or thought might be possible for Xander Bogarts. So uh, good news for him. Marcus Simeon. Previewed this a little bit on yesterday's show, talked about him coming off the DL in the context of um, there being some some struggles there for Franklin Barreto. Uh, and in fact, Simeon came off the DL, got in the A's uh, lineup, played shortstop, and no Franklin Barreto in the uh, A's lineup. But he didn't get sent down, as some people uh, I did see on Twitter were speculating. It was Jarrell Cotton going to the DL and granted this was maybe fortuitous timing because we've got the all-star break coming up and we're used to seeing players, particularly pitchers going on the DL around this time and probably would expect that more so this year. Now that the DL is only 10 days as opposed to the 14 that had been previously. But uh, in Cotton's case, he's developed a callus right next to the blister that he already had. Uh, so he's uh, got a situation with this finger where he does, uh, it sounds like, need some legitimate rest, but could be back right after uh, the All-Star break. And sort of a neat side note related to all this, Simeon coming off the DL, Cotton going on the DL. Uh, the A's would need a starter on Saturday to take Cotton's place. They're going to call up Chris Smith, who's a 36-year-old who will be making his first major league start. So there's anything uh you know that's interesting uh coming out of this aside from the fact that you got marcus simeon back uh that's pretty cool too chris smith making his first major league start uh tomorrow for the a's and uh also brad miller expected to be back very soon for uh the the tampa bay rays maybe uh maybe even as soon as today so i'll keep you updated on that because uh, they're I'm sure they'll probably be more hopefully during the next hour. Anyways, much more news to come. Standout performances, lineup weathers, and weather. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host of the show. And uh, man, that was some good timing because right before the break, I said, I'll get right back at you with some uh, Brad Miller news in case it comes up and come came up. It did. Uh, in fact, the Rays did just activate Brad Miller from the DL. He's been out with a groin strain and uh, he is taking the place of uh, Tim Beckham on the roster. And this was something that was speculated uh, recently uh, within the last 24 hours or so that Beckham might go on the DL because he has been trying to play through a sore ankle. Uh, so that uh, works out all the way around there. So uh, Brad Miller back, Tim Beckham on the DL, and uh, perhaps we see Tim Beckham very shortly after the All-Star break. Speaking of moves that we might see shortly after the All-Star break, uh, the Phillies may have a decision to make with Vince Velasquez. He could be uh, ready shortly uh, after the break, uh, but uh, they may put him in the bullpen. So uh, team officials are going to meet and try to figure out uh, how to map out the at least the near-term future of uh, Vince Velasquez. This report, by the way, from the Philadelphia Daily News. So... Uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting one. But if you're a uh, Vince Velasquez owner, you might have to wait even longer to see him get some starts. Maybe a very long time. Who knows? Uh, also report from John Morosi of Fox Sports that the Brewers may be buyers at the deadline. But, you know, I have to admit that story first kind of hit me kind of funny, like a, a sort of it was a surprise. But it really shouldn't be when you consider that the the Brewers have been uh, you know right there at the top of the NL Central for. Uh, for most of the uh, the year so far, so uh, you know they've they've got a team that you know if you go back three months, I think you would say it's been surprisingly competitive. So they may not only be buyers, they may be looking into some of the big ticket starting pitchers. Uh, they have uh, already shown some interest in Jose Quintana and Sonny Ray, Sonny Sonny Gray. Sorry, I had a little Robbie Ray on the mind, I guess Sonny Gray. So. Um, I'll be one to follow in the next uh, next few weeks for sure. The Nationals have placed Michael Taylor on the DL with a right oblique strain. It's not expected to be a long stay on the DL for Taylor. He could be back shortly after the All-Star break, and so could Jason Worth. So if you're thinking that this Taylor move to the DL, maybe that solidifies the status of Brian Goodwin, who's been hitting very well of late. Uh, it, it may not actually be a very long stay for Goodwin in the uh, Nationals outfield uh, with both Taylor and Worth possibly coming back off of the DL right after the All-Star break. Another news item that's going to require me checking in on, uh, last I looked, uh, right before the show, no word of the Reds signing Hunter Green Um, since that uh, Brad Miller news came up uh, right away after I said something. Maybe I'll have similarly good luck right now with Hunter Green, but no, I am not seeing anything yet on him. Of course, the deadline just a few hours away to sign uh, draft picks, but um, you know, we'll uh, keep an eye on what, that one because that's that's a big one. Uh, you know, of course, uh, one of the most touted, if not the most touted uh, draft prospects coming into this year's draft, still unsigned uh, as far as I can see as of this moment. All right, well, let's uh, take a little peek at the weather for today's games. Uh, We've got mostly a full slate tonight, but we have one game going on right now. We've got the Pirates at the Cubs. 
That one in progress, it is scoreless currently in the bottom of the second inning. And uh, that's uh, Eddie Butler and Trevor Williams pitching in that one. So good start for those two so far. I think Butler had a little bit of trouble in the first inning. But as I said, get to the weather. I kind of got a little little detour there on the way to the uh, weather forecasts. Uh, That's all right, though, because uh, it looks like there's nothing terribly threatening. We've got a little bit of projected rain in Cleveland tonight for their 7-10 start against the Tigers. Only an 18% chance at game time, but goes up to 40% at 9 p.m. and 53% at 10 p.m. And of course, as always, uh, these weather forecasts and data are courtesy of uh, Roto Grinders and Kevin Roth. So a little bit of rain forecast there. Philadelphia, they got a 24% chance at game time with that probability increasing in the next uh, hour or two after the the, uh, scheduled start of that game. So a couple of spots to watch there for tonight, uh, Philadelphia and Cleveland. Otherwise, very, very minor chances of precipitation. Nothing that looks like it's going to mess with your daily lineup. So, uh, check back in with that and while we are also checking in on things we've only got one lineup that's in for the night games we've got a 635 start in philadelphia padres at phillies clayton richard versus nick pavetta so you see if nick pavetta gets that Padres strikeout bump and a good strikeout pitcher even without it uh but their lineup i've been sort of doing a daily update on the the phillies outfield and it's an interesting alignment again I focused a lot on how they're handling uh, Nick Williams, who's now been up for about a week. I think exactly a week, actually. And the recently uh, resurgent Daniel Nava. Neither one is in the starting lineup against the Padres tonight. Uh, so you got Cameron Perkins in the leadoff spot, Manning left field. And then you've got Aaron Altair, who's lost a bit of playing time lately. He's batting third, playing right field. And Odubel Herrera batting sixth. And, of course, in center field. So that's your Phillies lineup update. Uh, But that's it so far. I imagine probably in the next 45 minutes or so, some of these will start to fill in. So uh, time permitting, I'll uh, check back and update you on any of the uh, lineups that look like uh, they've got some changes that you might need to know about. But uh, putting that aside for now, let's get to some of those big pitching performances. There were several. Big pitching performances on Thursday. So starting with the two marquee standoffs, you had Jacob Ferrier going for the Rays against Chris Sale for the Boston Red Sox. And good start by Chris Sale, but an even better start by Jacob Ferrier. Now, not the big strikeout total, but he is the one who who emerged uh, with the win in this one. Ferrier going six innings, one run on four hits, four walks for Ferrier, and only two strikeouts. And I'm going to produce the caveat that I usually uh, produce when I talk about the Red Sox. Sometimes I, I talk about this with the Indians and the Angels as well. Uh, but it's very, very hard to put up big strikeout numbers uh, against the Red Sox. Um, now, uh, we'll get back to Ferry in a second. But Chris Sale, as I mentioned, uh, a very good start. But he did give up four runs in seven innings, but 12 strikeouts and no walks. So that's what you like to see for Chris Sale. Maybe like to see a win and maybe a couple fewer runs, but uh, you know, still sporting a nice, tidy 275 ERA. On the other hand, Feria, he improved to 4-0 and 
and his ERA uh, improved to uh, 2.11. So he just keeps rolling along. And again, even with the the low strikeout total, which doesn't really alarm me against that particular lineup. But um, it's interesting. I got a question today, and, and if the person who sent this to me is listening, I apologize. I don't remember who sent it. But uh, somebody basically asked me if Ferry's a sell high. And I would say he's he's not. Uh, I don't view Ferrier that way at all. And that's not to say that I don't expect that that ERA won't grow a little bit, that there might not be some regression coming for Ferrier. But it's always a, a question of when you talk about players who are projected surgers or faders, you know, to what degree? I mean, if you've got a guy with a seven ERA and he looks like a positive regression candidate, that it doesn't help you a whole lot if his ERA only improves to, you know, five. So the question is, you know, where where does Jacob Feria land uh, in in terms of, uh, you know, his rest of season performance? And um, the thing I worry about with him is he is a bit fly ball prone. So he's only given up three home runs so far in 38 and a third innings, given some of those venues that he's got to travel to in the ALE, some of those lineups he's got to face. I think there'll be some more home runs. I don't think, in spite of the fly ball tendencies, he's going to have a 250 BABIP rest of season. So the whip should go up. The ERA should go up. But you know, just as an indication, FIP uh, right now for Ferry is at 3.19. XFIP is 3.98. I, you know, I, I don't really think he's a four ERA pitcher. I'd say a, that FIP to me sounds like the more accurate because I think he will have a lower than average BABIP if it's not quite 250 uh, pitching in Tampa. You know, maybe he can keep that uh, home run rate uh, around one or lower going forward. You know, that would be enough to, to keep his ERA right around three. So, um, and, and the race should provide Ferrier with some pretty good uh, run support as well. So no, not a sell high by any means, uh, Jacob Ferrier. He should be really a must start for you rest of season. I believe in him that much. And you know what? I think Chris Sale's going to be pretty good the rest of the season too. Just going out on a limb with that one. Uh, but we got another big uh, showdown to get to. Rich Hill and Robbie Ray. Two great performances there as well. But we've got a head to break uh, in just moments here. So I'll just tease you with that one. That We'll talk about Ray versus Hill after the break. And uh, a bunch of other pitchers who are not quite on the same level, but At least for one day, they pitched about that well. So stick around. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, before we get to that big Rich Hill, Robbie Ray uh, spectacular from yesterday, need to tell you just a quick word here about the world's premier 24-7 fantasy sports radio network app, which you can take with you wherever you go. You can download the fantasy sports radio app in the iTunes store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime, anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill. You can hear Benny Riccardi in the car or Greg Sussman on the subway. Or just relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Seeley when you're out jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fancy Sports Radio app for free 
right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. And also, before we get to some of the uh, action from last night and, and break down some of those performances, just a quick programming note, too. I think I may have mentioned this one other time, but uh, the, the dates are approaching where things are going to change a little bit on the show. Uh, Tuesday will be our first Tuesday show. So we're going to five days a week, same time as the other weekday shows, so 3 to 4 Eastern, uh, but we'll be on Tuesday now. And uh, also we'll be on Sunday, new time for Sunday, and twice as much. Uh, Instead of just one hour on Sunday, we're going two hours from 1 to 3 Eastern uh, in the afternoon on Sundays. And uh, so that'll be our next show, and uh, because it's double length, I'm going to have double the guests. I'm going to have both uh, Greg Jewett and Jim Finch on here from uh, FanRag Sports. So looking forward to that. And then Monday's show is a special one. It's the same time, same length. But we got a very special guest. Jonah Carey is going to join me on Monday's show. So uh, definitely mark your calendar for that one. Can't wait to have Jonah Carey on the show on Monday. All right, but back to – not back to the future, but back to Thursday – uh, Rich Hill, really, really nice start against the Diamondbacks. Uh, seven innings, nine strikeouts, no walks, just one run. Uh, so very, very nice uh, start that uh, just kind of builds on a recent uh, streak of uh, resurgence, I would say, for Rich Hill. Looking much more like the Rich Hill we saw last year and in September of 2015. Uh, and maybe just finally healthy, finally putting the blisters behind him. Looked really good against the Diamondbacks. Granted, pretty good. It's been a pretty good matchup for lefties, but Hill's been doing well lately, so I'm not really going to chalk that one up to the matchup. Now, on the other hand, the Dodgers. Remember when we used to pick on the Dodgers when a lefty would come to town? Uh, Dodgers, one of the worst teams. I, maybe it was even the worst team last year against lefties. I remember certainly very low down in whatever standings you wanted to look at, WOBA, uh, ISO, uh, whatever it was. Um, but last I looked, I think as recently as yesterday, the Dodgers were second in WOBA against left-handed starters. So huge turnaround from the Dodgers this year in that regard. No problem for Robbie Ray. Not at all. He went six innings, got 13 strikeouts in those six innings. Five hits, four walks, but the walks pretty much come with Ray almost every start. So four walks for him and and only one run for Robbie Ray. So a pair of really, really nice pitching matchups there uh, in that Dodgers-D-backs game. Uh, unfortunately, however, for uh, Robbie Ray, Fernando Rodney, who had just been on some kind of hot streak, uh, he blew up and, you know, early in the year in particular and, and over the years, uh, you know, we in the fantasy community, I think have had a little fun at the expense of Fernando Rodney because he's been so up and down when he's been down, he's, he's been spectacularly down. Uh, so this was sort of vintage Fernando Rodney from the not so good times, uh, gave up four runs on two hits and four walks with no strikeouts, did not get a batter out. Blew the save, and it's actually the second straight blown save for Fernando Rodney. But prior to his last two games, a string of 20 games where Rodney did not allow a single earned run. He did allow one run over a span covering 19 and third innings, only gave up two hits, two hits over 19 and one third innings. And I'll repeat again no earned runs, 21 strikeouts. But here, here's the rub. 
seven walks over those those 19 and a third innings. Now that's not particularly by closer standards. That's not necessarily terrible because you know some of the big time closers who rack up a lot of strikeouts. Uh, Craig Kimbrell prior to the season, you know, certainly comes to mind. Uh, can probably think of many others, but um, you know. That's that's not a horrific walk rate, but it's not a good one. And over those 20 games, Rodney was throwing only 58% of his pitches for strikes. However, over kind of the latter half, like the last month or so of that that uh, streak with no earned runs allowed for Fernando Rodney, he'd actually really improved the strikes thrown rate. So even though it's 58% was kind of front loaded with some really poor control early on. And then up until these back to back blown saves, Rodney had actually been throwing strikes. So just when you thought that Fernando Rodney was, was really turning it around and maybe legit being uh, an elite closer, just like he was the first of first half of last season, you know, we forget he's been up and down so much. Rodney was lights out the first half of 2016 was on another streak like that again, but appears to be, going south again for Fernando Rodney. Uh, I don't know if that means you, you try to trade him at this point. It's kind of an interesting question, actually, whether you think it would make sense to buy low on Rodney. I, I'd actually more in that direction, try to buy low on Rodney since he seems pretty entrenched there as the closer. Um, you know, there may be struggles, obviously, some bad ones, but maybe he just snaps out of this and, he, and he's really good again. Hard to say. Uh, let's get back to some starting pitchers. Mike Fultonevich has also been on a really nice one run. Uh, he won <laughs> again last night against the Nationals, and that was his third straight win and his fourth straight quality start and his sixth quality start out of his last seven seven starts. So definitely, at least on the surface, and I'm sort of foreshadowing here by saying that, on the surface, a really nice run for Mike Fultonevich. And he has teased us at several times in his still you know, pretty young career as someone that we keep waiting for the breakout, keep waiting for the breakout. And then he puts together a string of starts. You think, up oh, here it comes. Here it comes. So six quality starts out of the last seven tries. This latest one at Washington, six innings, two runs on eight hits and a walk with five strikeouts. So a, a good line, uh, maybe not a dominant one. But let's just take those four quality starts in a row because go back five starts. It was another start against the Nationals, and Fultonevich just uh, imploded. So if we include that in the string of, of the last seven starts where he's had six quality starts, the, the stats are sort of watered down by that one really bad start. But I think this is – if you just look at the last four starts, this is kind of telling. He's allowed fly balls at a 49% rate. It's very high. So um, he has not really paid a price in terms of a lot of extra base hits. But he has benefited from a 93% strand rate, which is almost 20 percentage points above the norm. That is uh, what you're really seeing from Mike Fultonevich. So I don't think we're seeing any sort of real breakout here. We're seeing a decent stretch from Fultonevich that, that's looking better than decent. That's looking like a great stretch. That's looking like the potential beginning of a breakout. When really what he's doing is he's getting a lot of fly ball outs and stranding a lot of runners. And those fly balls could easily become homers or at least doubles. Uh, and uh, you could see you know a lot more runs coming in the, in the near future. So maybe a sell high if you own Mike Fultonevich. Jose Barrios with a pretty good start against the Orioles. Six innings, four runs on seven hits. Uh, and no walks, and of those four runs, only three were earned. 
and four strikeouts for uh, Berrios. Um, that what's interesting is that one of the runs was a Mark Trumbo homer, and that is the first home run that Berrios has allowed at home all season. Now he's allowed nine home runs total, which is a number that's pretty much in line or maybe even a little bit lower than you'd expect for somebody who's got some some pretty definite fly ball tendencies. I wouldn't call Berrios extreme in that regard, but he's definitely a fly ball pitcher and, and had been in the minors. So it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm saying this on the basis of, uh, you know, less than half a season worth of, of major league starts. But only one home run at target field. And Target Field is a really tough place for lefties to homer. Now, the home run that he did allow there on Thursday was from Mark Trumbo, a right-handed hitter. But uh, that you know, it's it's easy to understand how Barrios would be able to prevent the homers at Target Field because he's very good against righties. And Target Field's you know pretty much neutral, maybe leaning somewhat hitter-friendly, power-friendly for right-handed hitters. But Barrios. Uh, you know, good against righties. So what you worry about is lefties, and he's got a park that may mask whatever weaknesses he's got against lefties. Uh, but the righty Trumbo got to him on Thursday, so only one home run, home run allowed at Target Field. So Berrios, uh, if you've got any sort of quandary about whether to start or sit, he's pretty much always going to be safe at home. So that's a good thing to know. And um, moving on, we've got a quartet of pitchers who had very good starts on Thursday who are all widely available. A couple of them, they'd be almost universally available pitchers. A couple of rookies, Paul Blackburn and Sal Romano, with really impressive starts. Blackburn's in in particular, uh, this against the uh, Seattle Mariners, went seven and two-thirds and only allowed one run. But... The kind of interesting part of his line, you know, for such a long start and such an effective start, he didn't strike anybody out. And Blackburn got only two swings and misses in that entire outing. So that's a kind of a crazy start there for Paul Blackburn. Um, but uh, that's not real far out of line w- with what you should expect. I mean, that's extreme, obviously, getting two swings and misses and a start that goes almost eight innings. But, um, you know, Let's just say I'm skeptical, and we've got to head to break a little bit, so we'll talk a little bit more about Blackburn, Romano, a couple other starting pitchers who might be off your radar who've done very well recently. So uh, stay with us. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, like I said, we've got more uh, state-up performances to get to, a few lineups that are in. But uh, before we get to any of that, the RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge in-season fantasy baseball package is your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack. With their in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights, become a waiver wizard and learn how to scan the numbers like a Roto scientist. They will help you set the ideal lineups every week. And this season, you'll get a built-in fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor, powered by InsideInjuries.com. So get the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package right now, and you'll start soaring to the top of your standings. Enter the promo code FREERADIO at the checkout 
for a special discount. So let's get to those uh, lineups. Just a couple uh, of note. I mean, we get the White Sox in, but nothing. All that momentous there. Uh, we got the Yankees lineup against the Brewers. We got Tyler Wade batting ninth and playing second base. I find that sort of an interesting matchup. Now, I don't have the Brewers lineup yet, but particularly if Steven Vogt is behind the plate, he's been one of the worst catchers this year in terms of throwing out base stealers. Wade's got a little bit of speed. Um, so, you know, might be uh, an interesting, you know, inexpensive play for Daly. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, the Yankees lineup pretty much as you would expect it. And um, the Red Sox lineup, uh, talked earlier in the show about Xander Bogarts with that hand bruise, so he is not in the lineup. Uh, so you got Sue Lin playing shortstop and Devin Marrero uh, playing third base with Lin sliding over uh, to play short. So that's about it. Uh, no major uh, things uh, in, in any of the other lineups. There's really, there's most lineups aren't in yet, so I'll keep my eyes on that. But let's get back to the pitching performances because right before the break, I'd start to talk a little bit about Paul Blackburn having his second straight quality start for the A's. And this one was a, an especially peculiar one because he went seven and two thirds but didn't strike a batter out and only allowed one run. Uh, but, you know, I think that's Blackburn's MO sort of uh, writ large. That is, you know, I don't think he's going to be that poor as a strikeout option, but he's, he's definitely going to be below average uh, based on his past body of work, but uh, you know, some good control, some, some decent ground ball tendencies for Blackburn. So especially, you know, pitching at at, uh, Oakland Coliseum, he could be uh, useful to stream in some deeper leagues if he sticks around and he's had two good starts, so he could stick around. The the question is, can he continue to succeed uh, while allowing so much contact? Um, you know, that that's a, a whole other question. Uh, Sal Romano also um, not really getting a lot of strikeouts at AAA this year. So entering uh, or reentering the road, Reds rotation at Colorado seemed like it could have been a very tricky proposition for Sal Romano. But he did just fine. Went five innings, six strikeouts, only one walk and two runs a lot of six hits. So pretty nice start for Sal Romano. Uh, granted, been dealing with some injury issues earlier in the year, so maybe that's an explanation for some peripheral numbers in the minors that were not, you know, very encouraging or impressive. But last year, Double A really took a step forward in terms of a strikeout pitcher. Looked really good this spring. So uh, I, I still hold out some hope for Romano, and uh, you know, that's certainly a very auspicious. Uh, performance there at Coors Field against the Rockies. Now, I also said there were two other pitchers who could be off your radar who have been pitching very well. One of them is Anibal Sanchez, who's now made four starts since getting recalled from AAA Toledo. And across those four starts, he has a 3.09 ERA. And this latest performance against the Giants, eight strikeouts and no walks in six innings, just two runs allowed on five hits. So a very nice line for Anibal Sanchez, and like I said, a very nice ERA since coming back. Um, digging beneath those surface stats, though, nothing, it's not bad. It's certainly a, a world ahead of where Sanchez was earlier in the year. But um, let's take take a look at the schedule, because his first start back off, uh, off from uh, the, the minor league promotion was at the Mariners. So 
you know, uh, not a not an easy opponent necessarily, but a good venue. And then the Padres at San Francisco, and then a pair of home starts. First against the Indians, pretty tough opponent, and then the Giants, less so. Um, so basically, he's had a couple of good matchups and four pretty favorable venues. I mean, uh, I almost said Tiger Stadium, uh, Comerica Park. Uh, I wouldn't say it's pitcher friendly, but I would say at worst it's neutral. So, you know, Sanchez, he's been getting whiffs on uh, 8% of his pitches, which is a, a good rate, but it's not a great rate. It's not necessarily one you would match up with a 3.09 ERA unless there was something else going on, like a 55 or 60% ground ball rate or a 1.5 K per nine ratio or something. Uh, and Sanchez hasn't walked a lot of batters, but he's now also not thrown a ton of strikes either. So it just everything looks a little bit iffy for Anibal Sanchez. I think he's perfectly fine in like a 15-team mixed league or, or anything deeper. Absolutely needs to be owned and started in AL-only leagues now. But I would hold the phone. That's probably a really outdated expression now. But uh, I'll use it again anyway. I would hold the phone, pump the brakes, whatever you want to however you want to put it on going after Sanchez more aggressively than that, because it just looks like he's been sort of an average starter and uh, you could probably do better on waivers in a lot of leagues. Chad cool. Here's kind of a interesting, hard to figure out pattern from him. Very good start at the Phillies. And again, you could chalk it up to the matchup. The Phillies have not been a tough opponent, especially against righties. Uh, but Cool went seven innings, and right there, I mean, could just stop right there at him going seven innings because that's uh, very unusual for Cool. In fact, uh, he went a very long time from like mid-April up until late June without even going more than five innings in a start. Uh, and yet, during a stretch that went through the end of June, Chad Cool was getting whiffs on 12% of his pitches. So there's a lot of strikeout potential there. Now, in this most recent start against the Phillies on Thursday, he went seven innings, gave up only two runs, although they also allowed uh, another run that was unearned, but three strikeouts, three strikeouts, three walks, six hits. So three strikeouts against the Phillies in seven innings. That's kind of weird for a guy who's been really good at missing bats. But over his two starts in July, which have both been, in general, very good starts and both quality starts, a 6% whiff rate. For Chad Cool, so we don't really have enough data from just those two starts to make much of it. But the fact that uh, allowing more contact has coincided with better results for Chad Cool is a little bit weird. And the one part of it that maybe makes sense is that because Cool was re- was so reliant earlier on on getting swings and misses, that those plate appearances probably were lasting longer and might have contributed to all those early exits, whereas last two times out, he's gone longer and allowed a lot more contacts. So contacts that might just be, you know, boom, you know, uh, you know, batter gets in the box, and, and he's, he's putting the ball in play. Um, that's not really terrific for fantasy purposes, and definitely not Roto. I mean, maybe if he can become a, uh, a quality start machine, then, you know, he, he gets starts to get some relevance in uh, points leagues. But for Roto... Uh, I'm not that enthused about these last couple of starts, but we'll see. Maybe he brings it all together. Maybe uh, going forward, he gets the strikeouts and 
he goes six or more innings. I think it's entirely possible, especially since the first of these two quality starts in a row was against a Giants team. That's not the easiest to get strikeouts against. And and they're certainly not the easiest to get uh, swings and misses off of. So, um, you know, let's wait and see on Chad Cool. But that's a guy to put on your radar. Maybe even a potential streamer in some 12-team leagues uh, going forward. But he's he's got a ways to go to, to, you know, to prove himself in those kinds of formats. He's got to get the strikeouts back and go deeper into games. Let's see if he can do both of those. Uh, let's move on to some of the hitters. Only one two home run performance to speak of from Thursday's games, and that was Jake Lamb. So home runs number 19 and 20 against the Dodgers. Uh, one of those coming off of Rich Hill. That was the only run that Rich Hill allowed in that game. Um, so nice performance from Jake Lamb, but, uh, Gregory Polanco, this is the one that I think probably is going to grab your attention a little bit more because he has been one of the most disappointing players in fantasy this year. I think maybe you can make an argument. I'm not sure. Top of mind. I can think of somebody who's been more disappointing and caused more grief for owners who probably spent pretty, pretty dearly for him on draft day. Uh, but a four-for-four four performance uh, for Polanco on Thursday, including a home run, his seventh home run of the season. And this is not really just an isolated event for Polanco. Over his last nine games, he has hit 394 uh, with two home runs. So he's got home runs actually bookending uh, those uh, that nine-game stretch. But um, only one strikeout and 35 plate appearances. That's the thing that really stands out. So the batting average, which is probably the last thing that you expected to get from Polanco this year, he's not really been a standout in terms of batting average. Um, but man, only one strikeout over his last nine games covering 35 plate appearances. That's pretty impressive. Now, whether or not the power is something Polanco can sustain uh, remains to be seen. But... Um, for what it's worth, the hard contact rate over that nine-game span is only 27%, so barely better than it's been uh, during a you know difficult season so far. So kind of a glass half-full, half-empty uh, stretch for Gregory Polanco, but at least it's something positive you could build on. Anyways, a lot more standout hitters to get to, but first got to just take this quick break, and then we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. Uh, the Twins have placed Joe Maurer on the DL. Um, he's got a back injury. So um, Kenny Vargas is going to uh, replace uh, Maurer on the roster. And uh, that's, uh, that's all I got on that one. And the uh, Astros have activated Charlie Morton. And uh, we'll uh, start tonight. I think that one was anticipated, so not really a big development there. So let's get right back to some of the hitting performances. Uh, talked already about Jake Lamb and Gregory Polanco. Uh, Polanco, just one of many hitters who got four hits last night. So a uh, little 
bigger on batting average and a little lower on power uh, in the Thursday games. But Encarnacion had a little bit of both four hits, including his 18th home run of the season and his 10th double. So Encarnacion's season so far kind of splits pretty neatly into some quarters because the first quarter of the season, the first six weeks or so, really bad. That feels like an eternity ago. But remember when uh, many of us were all wondering if it was if it was all over for Encarnacion? Uh, that was some serious premature panicking because over his last 45 games, so a little more than a quarter of the season, he's hit 319 with 13 home runs. So do the math on that one. Uh, quadruple it and you know take a, a few homers off for good measure. Uh, and you know, you're looking at a, uh, a 50 homer pace there for Encarnacion. I mean, that's not, especially with all the power that we've seen this year, that's not outlandish. That isn't even necessarily unsustainable. But a 319 average for Encarnacion, when he's pretty much profile-wise the same hitter he's been for a long time, that's a hard one to swallow. Uh, he's got a 333 BABIP, and this is from a guy who typically has BABIPs you know, right around 270. So uh, Encarnacion has gone from, what do I do with this guy, to, uh, I think, a, a sell-high candidate. And, again, you, you would want to sell him for this value. You'd want to sell him for somebody who's buying the batting average. That might be hard to find, but you never know. I've, I've seen Stranger. So <laughs> Encarnacion, uh, in any event, a big game for him. Domingo Santana with a four-hit game including his 14th and 15th doubles of the year, this against the Cubs. And that takes his batting average up to 288 on the season. I I would argue, I think Santana's the most under-owned player in fantasy because he's 12th among outfielders. What he's doing looks very sustainable. He's got 14 home runs and nine stolen bases. He's He is does profiles as power speed guy who uh, hits enough line drives that despite uh, some strikeouts could, could hit for uh, maybe not 288, but pretty close to it. He is 47% owned in ESPN leagues and 75% owned in CBS leagues. That's outrageous to me. So go out there and see if you can get Domingo Santana. Uh, worth your while. He's one of the top 12 outfielders in Roto right now. Chris Taylor with a four-hit game and also a pair of doubles, number 17 and number 18 for him against the Diamondbacks. He's cooled off a bit since earlier, but uh, that's gotten his batting average uh, back up to 295. And Wilson Ramos with a very nice game, two for three, with his third homer and his first double. Bear in mind, I mean, Ramos hasn't been off the DL for all that long, but he's hitting fly balls at a 52% rate, so that's very atypical for Ramos. That's an interesting development to track for him. Uh, could be an even better power hitter than we've been expecting. So on that note, I'm going to wrap things up. So thank you for joining me. Be sure to join me for a full hour on Sunday from one to, or I'm sorry, full two hours from one to three uh, on Sunday. And don't forget Jonah Cara, jo- Jonah Carey on Monday show. So look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for tuning in and have a great weekend.